Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time. We try to teach exactly what the Bible says. You know, of course, we're saved by grace. But think about when you were being brought up by your parents. When you when you disobeyed your parents, were you showing them respect or disrespect? Well, disrespect, obviously. It's the same way with Jesus. He says in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. So, yes, we're saved by grace, but if we love and respect our Lord, we're going to be as careful, very careful to try to follow his law and obey it. And our law for today, of course, is the New Testament law, not the Old Testament law. Jim from Iowa, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Okay, first I need to listen to your answer on the telephone, if that's okay. Uh, yeah. The Bible talks about, in the last days, about a perverse generation. I mean, I see the homosexuals, it's like it's normal. Everybody, you know, nothing wrong with that, anything they want to do. You think this is getting close to that gener- that time, the end time? Well, the only time the Bible talks about perverse generation is in Matthew seventeen seventeen. And it says, then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation. So that was that generation right then. The generation that Jesus was speaking to was perverse. But I'll agree with you, Jim, 100% that the generation we're in is definitely perverse. I looked up the definition for perverse, and it says, turned away from or rejecting what is right, good, or proper, wicked, or corrupt. I mean, when we have... 50% 50% of the congregations probably across America accepting homosexuality. We have probably 95% of the congregations across America accepting adulterous marriages. It, so we have churches accepting gay marriages and adulterous marriages. I would call that perverse, wouldn't you, Jim? Oh, yeah, and they let them be preachers still. They let them be preachers. And, and Jim, it's not just the gay marriages, it's adulterous marriages. That's even more yeah, the Bible says. The only reason you don't have to stay married is for fornication. If you if you don't stay married, you get married again. You're in an adulterous marriage. Exactly. Jesus calls that an adulterous marriage in Matthew nineteen nine. And most churches just go along with it. They don't. They're not. They're nothing like John the Baptist. John the Baptist lost his head because he told Herod that it was unlawful for him to have Herodias, and they got yeah. so mad they chopped his head off. Preachers today don't have the courage of John the Baptist. They won't say you have to terminate that marriage like John the Baptist did. Larry from Michigan, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about uh, elect, like the elect. Uh, you can't come to Christ unless God had called you to Christ. I, I was kind of confused on that, and I, but I read it a lot of different places, well, you know, one in John and a few other places, and it kind of got me confused, you know, because... What if a person's trying to come to Christ and he's just, you know, all like me? I, I just don't live right. I try, to, I try, I try, and I mess up, and I mess up, and I don't seem to quite get it right. So the Bible talks about God calling us to Christ. And, for example, in Acts 2, verse 38, Peter told believers, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you and to your children, to all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So it's not that he only calls the elect, Larry. God calls everybody. He asks everybody to become a Christian. 
He, he says in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 14, he says, whereunto he called you by our gospel. The gospel calls everybody, meaning the gospel asks everybody to, to obey the gospel, to believe he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16, to believe and be baptized to be saved from our sins. And as Acts 2, 38 says, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. God asks everybody to do that. That Even the atheists, he's calling them to do it, but they just refuse it. Follow what I'm saying, Larry? Mm-hmm. I, I do, but I, why does it say that, though? It keeps saying, you know, uh, if you're the only ones that can come to Christ are called by God. I, I don't. What does he mean when he the Bible that? never says that the Bible t- says anybody oh. can come to Christ. Remember John three sixteen, for God so loved the yeah. world that he gave his only so begotten world, son that yeah. whosoever believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Anybody can come to Christ. Everybody is called. Jim, did you have any follow-up? You're talking to me? Yeah, Jim, go ahead. You have any follow-up? Yeah, I just wanted to get your opinion. If you if uh, you thought this was could be the last generation, because like you said, I've never seen anything this bad before. It's like good is is wrong and wrong is good. I mean, so it's the just, Bible and, never uh, teaches. They never never teaches there's going to be any signs for the last generation or everything. It always teaches that. The second coming of Christ is unknown. He's going to come as a thief in the night. That means he's not going to give you any signs. I mean, if a thief's going to come rob your house, is he going to give you some signs about what day he's coming, Jim? Yeah, I see, I see what you're saying. So so the Bible makes it clear that we don't know when the second coming of Christ. As a matter of fact, talking about the second coming in Matthew 13, 32, it says, but of that day and that hour... Knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Even Jesus Christ, at least at that time, didn't know when the second coming of Christ of himself was going to be. Follow me, Jim? Okay. Yeah. You think it could get any worse than it is now? Oh, yeah. It can get a lot worse. It's every year in my life, it's always gotten worse. So I expect it to be worse next year, and I expect it to be worse the year after that. It's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse because that's that's how it's always been. You think there's any time it could get better? Uh, I don't see much hope of that. What I think we ought to do, instead of worrying about the governments and uh, and how good they are, instead, think of yourself as a pilgrim, a stranger in this land. Don't try to change the government. Instead, preach the gospel with all your might. Preach the truth. And hopefully this program, we're trying to do that. Okay. Larry, you got any follow-up? No, you... Uh- uh, John eight thirty six and eight thirty seven. I think that's where I read it. And I'm driving right now to work, but um, if, if you could read that, or well, you probably already know what it says, but I, I'm kind of confused, still confused on that. Um, I don't know why it, it just kind of stick because a lot of people call it Ar- Armenianism and Calvinism. You know, yeah. So. So the Bible says in John eight thirty six and 37, if the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word hath no place in you. So you must have the wrong reference, Larry. Yeah, but I do. I do. It's not do. confusing. It was another Larry, one, yeah. It's, it's not confusing at all. The most famous verse in the Bible proves conclusively, and it's very simple. A third grader can understand it. Oh, yeah. That whosoever yep. believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So the Calvinists want to say only some can be saved because Jesus only died for some. But there's no confusion. The Bible is very clear. That's people who are not following the Bible are saying that. Don't listen to people who are not following the Bible. 
there's all kinds of verses mm-hmm. that say anybody can be saved. As Matt, here's another one. Second Peter chapter chapter three verse nine says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, talking about the second coming of Christ, as some men count slackness, but is long suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now how could you say it any more clear than that, Larry? Mm-hmm. Don't well, be bothered by I, I what the Calvinists say. They're not following the Bible. Just go by the Bible. If you go by the Bible, it proves conclusively over and over and over again that Jesus died for everybody. Matter of fact, Hebrews 2.9 said he tasted death for every man. And that means everybody has the opportunity to be saved if they'll obey the gospel. Larry, have you obeyed the gospel? I guess what it is, I, I try. I don't do too good sometimes, to be honest with you. Well, I, I guess I feel, no, there's a, I feel far the, from God a lot of times. I, the I, way just, the Bible, I do a lot. Larry, the way the Bible talks about obeying the gospel, either you have done it or you haven't done it. Either you have done it or well, you haven't done it. I don't live, I don't live perfect. I've been, it's you not know, I, obeying, I, went, I didn't ask you. Sorry, yeah. I love you, Larry, but I didn't ask you if you lived perfectly. I asked if you had obeyed the gospel. Oh, okay. Oh yeah, I've I've been baptized. I've uh, I've accepted Christ, you know, a long time ago, but I just felt so far away from God. And I've been reading my Bible a lot, and I get confused on a lot of these verses, you know, when it talks, you know, because it's Calvinism, Arminianism, and I think maybe I'm not called. Uh, yeah, I just feel so far from from God. I just thought, well, maybe I wasn't one of the elect and called because I asked God to help me with these things and, uh, you know, and I just can't quite overcome a lot of things. And I just keep messing up and messing up. Larry, I'm going to call you after the program and maybe we can arrange for a Bible study, okay? Okay, well, I'll be at work, though. Appreciate your call. Appreciate it. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755. If you have a Bible question or comment, we appreciate those good calls. If you have a Bible question, be sure and call us. Last week, we were talking about how we're going to be judged in four plus areas, meaning not just four areas, but at least four. Those four areas were we're going to be judged based upon our doctrine. We're going to be judged based upon our morality. We're going to be judged based upon whether or not we're willing to help others. We're going to be judged based upon whether or not we try to do personal evangelism. And I wanted to point out, as we move into these verses, that just because we live a moral life doesn't mean we can ignore doctrine. I know a lot of denominational people like that. They think they can ignore doctrine because they live a moral life. You can't do that. Because we're going to be judged based upon both those things. And just because we're sound doctrinally and morally doesn't give us a pass on either helping others or personal evangelism. You get, we're going to be judged in all four of those areas. And I think I know a lot of Christians that act like that's true. They're sound doctrinally. They're sound morally. But they don't spend a lot of time trying to help others or doing personal evangelism. It's like they think they're only going to be judged based upon doctrine and morality. And just because we do a lot of helping of others, some people do, that doesn't give us a pass on being diligent in personal evangelism. And just because we're diligent in personal evangelism, that doesn't give us a pass on trying to help others physically. 
And just because we're active in charity work or evangelism, that doesn't give us a pass on doctrinal morality. We're going to be judged by all four areas. Christians have to be diligent in all four areas to receive a favorable favorable judgment on the last day. And actually, as I mentioned, there are more than just four areas, which is what all we have time to talk about uh, tonight. So let's go back to what we were talking about last week. We were we'd already talked about how that we're going to be judged based upon our doctrine. Let's talk about how we're going to be judged based upon our, our morality. How about 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10? I'm reading from the New King James Version. It says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, neither homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. A lot of believers think, no, it doesn't really matter how you live as long as you believe in Jesus. You can be a homosexual or you can be an adulterer or a fornicator or a drunkard. No, the Bible makes it clear in verses like this that we're going to be judged not just based upon whether or not we believe in Jesus, but we're going to be judged based upon our morality. How about Revelation 21 verse 8, which reads, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and 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 the uh, uh, prostitutes and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is a second death. So if we're a murderer or we're unbeliever or we're idolater or a liar or we're a, 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 a sexually immoral person, we're going to be lost. We're going to be judged based upon our morality, not just whether or not we believed in Jesus. TJ from Spokane, Washington, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Um, yes, my question has to do with the parables that Jesus, particularly um, the ones that Jesus speaks of in Matthew 13, he introduces them by simply saying, the kingdom of heaven is like, which to me speaks of present tense. However, in the transition between chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew, he, after he brings out the Olivet Discourse, he presents the kingdom and says, then the kingdom of heaven will be like. And he brings out the parable of the, the ten virgins, the five foolish, the five wives. My question simply has to do, is there a, a transition at some point in time with the kingdom of God and the requirements or um, the different realities that come from it? You know, I'm looking at, it's a very good question, TJ. I'm looking at Mark chapter 9, verse 1. Here Jesus is speaking to an audience. We don't know how many people. Well, let's just say 100, just as a wild guess. He says, Verily I say unto you, that there be some that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So the kingdom, a lot of the pre-millennialists will say the kingdom is going to be set up when Jesus comes back, but Jesus is saying here, the kingdom will come within the lifetime of some of those he's speaking to. Do you see that from Mark 9-1, TJ? Right, yeah. Now, I'm turning back to Daniel. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, I believe is the reference. Let me read that. It says, I saw in the night visions. Of course, this is a prophecy written hundreds of years before Christ came. I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven and came to the Ancient of Days. 
who would the ancient of days be, TJ? Obviously, that's the Father God. Yeah, that's exactly right. The Son is coming to the ancient of days. It says they brought him near before him, and there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom. So Christ was given a kingdom when he came to the ancient of days, meaning when he ascended up to heaven. Whereas the premillennialists will say that Christ is going to be given the kingdom when he leaves the ancient of days, when he's the second coming of, at the second coming of Christ. But no, he was given the kingdom when he ascended up to the Father. You see that from Daniel 7? Okay. So in a way, TJ, you could say that the kingdom of God has existed all throughout time and always will exist. That's just God is ruling over everything and everybody. But there's a different phase of the kingdom where Jesus was made the king of the kingdom. And that's okay. when he ascended up to heaven. I'm, I'm looking also at Acts 2, TJ, in verse 30. Acts 2, verse 30 says, Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He's seeing this before spake of the resurrection of Christ. And then it says in verse 33, therefore being by the right hand of God exalted. So Jesus became the king of the kingdom, that phase of the kingdom, when he was resurrected and ascended up and sat on the right hand of God. From then on out, the kingdom was in existence. Jesus was the king of the kingdom. We've been in that, that kingdom's been existing now for about almost 2,000 years. With Jesus as the king and any person who voluntarily submits himself to the king then would become a citizen of that kingdom. TJ, you got some follow-up? Um, yeah, kind of. Um, okay, so once again, my, my question has to do with the fact I realize that Jesus is in heaven with the Father seated at the right hand. However, the all of that discourse gives me a scenario of end-time experiences and a transition of the kingdom. Am I, am I not seeing that? Well, I'm not sure. Have you ever noticed, TJ, so Jesus talks about all kinds of things in Matthew 24. And in verse 34, TJ says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So everything that Jesus had talked about in Matthew 24 up through verse 34 was going to happen in that generation. History says what Jesus was talking about, what he was prophesying about, was Titus and his armies, Roman armies, coming in and ransacking Jerusalem, destroying Jerusalem. TJ, did you uh, did you know about that, the destruction of Jerusalem being prophesied about in Matthew 24, 1 through 34? Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm familiar with that. Um, yeah. I, I, I studied the Bible some. However, again, um, in Matthew 24, do we see end-time scenario there? Are you saying everything in Matthew 24 has already no, been up fulfilled? Through, no, just up through verse 34, because verse 36 okay. says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. See, there's all kinds of signs given, T.J., in the first 34 verses, you know, there'll be right. talk of okay. many Christ and things like that. And, uh, you know, woe unto him if you see the, the abomination of desolation and things. So there's a lot of signs about the destruction of Jerusalem. But he says, in beginning to talk about the second coming of Christ, verse 36, there's not going to be any signs about that. So that he's talking about the second coming of Christ from verse 36 all the way through the end of chapter 25. As a matter of fact, 
you'll remember Matthew 25, 31 through 46, TJ, is the famous judgment scene where Christ is going to judge the nations. It's probably Mm -hmm. the longest passage about the judgment day. And there, of course, the emphasis is, are you helping those less fortunate than you are? which I was going to talk about later in this lesson if I get to it. But I think that the transition point is verse 34 and 35 and 36. 36 following and all the way through 25 is the second coming of Christ. Do you agree, TJ? Yeah, I do. And and can I interject a point? Oh, you sure Um, can. I'm sorry if I I interrupted you, TJ. No, 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 you didn't. Um, I think sometimes we lose context simply because of chapter division. But in like with the Matthew gospel, if we just go from 24, what we know as 24, 25, I'm, I'm still in that, that then element of the kingdom, particularly in light of the fact of the description that he uses of the 10 virgins, because they're identical in all facets except, I mean, they all had um, lanterns, they all had oil, they were all virgins. However, five of them were not prepared because when the time came, they didn't have enough oil. So they had to make some kind of provision. Well, the five wives couldn't release theirs, so they had to make provision. The five foolish had to make provision otherwise. And So, by the, the way, audience, is, TJ is talking about Matthew 25, 1 through 13. Go ahead, TJ. Okay. So, and it's all about the coming of the bridegroom. And the bridegroom is, is delayed. His coming is delayed. And so they all sleep. So there's so much synonymous activity with these various virgins, except at the time when the calling comes and the bridegroom is coming, then when they go to light their lamps, only five have enough oil. So I think what's being illustrated here, TJ, is that when Christ comes, you need to be ready. These yeah. five virgins that right. weren't ready, they represent people who are not ready for the second coming of Christ. They're not living fa- faithful to Christ. The five, those are the five foolish virgins. But the five virgins that are ready, right. they represent people who are faithful to Christ, and they're ready when Christ comes back. The bridegroom. Right. Christ is the bridegroom, right. of course. Right. And, but, okay, can I, inter- can I interject yet another thought, however? Yes, TJ, are go these, ahead. Is in this context of the kingdom, are these virgins seen as those that are invited to the wedding, or are they seen as part of the bride of Christ? Well, I don't know that I see that detail in there. When we look at parables and, and well, illustrations see, my, like this, what we, what we my, see is oh, sorry, the five foolish virgins represent those who are foolish and don't prepare themselves for the second coming of Christ, Christ being the bridegroom. The five wise virgins are those that do prepare. Okay? Okay. But when it comes to getting in and they're knocking, they're not recognized. Even though we would see them all as believers, but they're not they're not getting in. In fact he says, I never I don't know you. I mean, it gets it's a pretty heavy interchange that takes place there. And that's and right. That's, Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, so, if you're not ready for Christ, you're not going to go to heaven when he comes back. Yeah, but they all had exactly the same thing. They all had oil. They all had lamps. Five of them didn't have the vessels carrying oil. That's the only difference. And yet the five who had, all, had enough oil 
they could get in. But Appreciate your call, TJ. And so we're talking about morality. And, well, I don't have time to go into it. We have to go off there in 30 seconds. If you would like a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753. Call or text me at 256-682-9753. Appreciate you listening tonight. Appreciate all the good calls. Be sure to listen next week at this same time to Bible Crossfire.